Okay, we are um, on chapter 22 of our Confession of Faith, which deals with the subject of religious worship in the Sabbath day. Now, paragraph one, as we have said, deals with the regulative principle of worship. And the regulative principle of worship is just the principle that God's worship is to be regulated. And the question is, regulated by who and according to what? And so worship is not something uh, that we can do as we see fit. God regulates our worship just like he regulates our marriages and he regulates our church and he regulates our child rearing. Um, He regulates the way of salvation. Well, he regulates worship as well. So we would not, should not be surprised that we cannot freelance when it comes to worship any more than we can freelance when it comes to salvation or we can freelance when it comes to how we raise our kids. Or we can freelance about what the roles of the man and the woman are going to be in the marriage relationship. So we considered together in a previous study that in paragraph one, the duty to worship is revealed by nature. It says the light of nature shows that there is a God who has lordship and sovereignty over all, is just good and doeth good unto all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart and all the soul and with all the might. But now our confession tells us the proper method of worship is revealed by Scripture. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself. It's not instituted by people. People don't decide how the true God is to be worshipped. He decides for himself how he will be worshipped and is so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imaginations and devices of men, nor the suggestions of Satan under any visible representations or in any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. So, having seen that the duty to worship is revealed by nature, now today we want to consider together the fact that the proper method of worship is revealed by Scripture. Now, we talked about the fact that there are two ideas about how God regulates worship. And we talked about the exclusive principle and the inclusive principle. Now, the inclusive principle says anything is acceptable in the worship of God as long as it is not expressly forbidden. So what God commands, we can do. And what he does not forbid, we can also do. And I brought out the illustration last time that God, of course, commands us in our worship, uh, for example, to read the scriptures. And he commands us to pray. So fine, we'll read the scriptures and we'll pray. And then, of course, under the second commandment, God forbids the making of images to worship him. So we're not going to make any images. But God's word is silent about whether we use choirs and candles and all of those things. So if God doesn't expressly forbid it, we may engage in it. Now that's what's called the inclusive principle or regulative principle of worship. And uh, uh, that is practiced by uh, a large number uh, of, of people in Christendom. However, the Reformed tradition has always adhered to the exclusive principle, regulative principle of worship. And the exclusive principle says nothing is acceptable in the worship of God. 
nothing is acceptable in the worship of God unless it is expressly authorized or directly commanded. That is, we only do what God tells us to do and we don't do anything that he does not expressly tell us to do. Now, our confession, of course, sets forth this latter position, this exclusive principle, a regulative principle of worship. And that principle is articulated in the confession when it says, but the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself, here it is, and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imaginations and devices of men. So clearly the exclusive principle is enunciated in our confession of faith. Now, what I want to do this morning is to set forth four reasons why um, the exclusive principle, a regular principle of worship, is, is the biblical standard and principle. And the first point I want to bring out is this, is that it is the prerogative of God alone to determine the terms upon which sinners may approach him in worship. It is the prerogative of God alone to determine the terms upon which sinners may approach him in worship. Now, it is clear that God does not accept all forms of worship, even if they are sincerely offered, if they are not according to his express will and desire. And the very first example of that in this scripture is contained in Genesis 4, verses 1 through 5. Book of Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and what we have here is the famous story of Cain and Abel. Now, God had obviously set before Adam and Eve the basis upon which he was to be approached when he uh, killed animals and took the skins from them and clothed Adam and Eve with those skins in Genesis chapter 3. And what he was telling them is that there has to be a blood sacrifice, and he is telling them that they have to be clothed in the righteousness of an innocent victim if they are going to be able to appear before God and be acceptable in his sight. So having established that principle in Genesis chapter 3, then in Genesis chapter 4, it says, verse 1, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. Now notice the next phrase. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and hit to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And so clearly God looked at one type of worship and said, I will respect that. I will accept that. And then he looked at the other worship that was offered and he says, I will not accept that. I reject that. Now how this respect and this rejection was manifested, the text doesn't particularly say, but it's obvious to the two men that this occurred because it says in the latter part, of verse 5, it says, And Cain was very wroth, very angry, and his countenance fell. 
And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? Now get this. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And so what God is saying to Cain is your worship of me is sin. You are not doing well. I will not respect your offering. And he said, and unto thee shall be his desire and thou shalt rule over him, which will not get into the meaning of that at this point in time. What I want to bring out here is this, is that God is very particular about how he's to be worshipped. Some worship he respects and accepts, and other worship he rejects, and he declares it to be sin. Now, people may say, well, it had to do with the attitude of the individual, not the content of the offering. Um, and I'm sure that there was an element in that as well, because Cain was certainly, um, as the subsequent story unfolds for us, an unsaved man. And Hebrews 11 declares Abel, uh, of course, to be a saved man. Nevertheless, um, we see from the pattern that was established back in chapter 3, in which the Lord God uh, made coats of skins and clothed Adam and Eve, that there had been a precedent established that the way to worship and approach God was with a blood sacrifice. And of course, Cain brought um, the fruit of the ground, which at this point in time was not something that God was receiving as worship. Now, uh, later on under the old covenant, there were grain offerings that were offered to the Lord that were acceptable. But um, at this point in time, obviously there was not. And so I think the principle here is clearly established is that some worship is viewed by God as being sin and some worship is viewed by God as being acceptable and the difference is uh, up to God. And so we have to go to God and we have to inquire of God, how do you want to be approached? How do you want to be worshipped? Because if we approach God and worship him, uh, even in a way that seems perfectly acceptable, I mean, you would think a grain offering, well, hey, you know, that's pretty, pretty, pretty good thing. Um, it wasn't to God. And so therefore, um, we need to be careful uh, certainly with the attitude of our worship, but also with the content of it, that it is as God has prescribed. And, and Cain obviously knew better um, when God confronted him. Uh, Cain knew that he had, had sinned. All right, any questions about that particular passage? All right, the second passage that I want to look at to support uh, the assertion that I made is Exodus chapter 20. The book of Exodus chapter 20. Now, this, of course, is the chapter in which God hands down the Ten Commandments on the two stone tablets. And <clears throat> the second commandment that he sets forth in Exodus chapter 20 is in verses 4 through 6. Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6, the second commandment which says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. 
For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me, and keep my commandments. Now, everyone would agree that the second commandment forbids the making of the likeness of God. Okay, making some image that represents God, a picture, a statue, a symbol, whatever, and then worshiping God through that symbol or through that statue or through that picture, okay, through that likeness, all right? But not only does the second commandment forbid making the likeness of God, the second commandment also stipulates that God is the one who decides how he is to be worshipped. By forbidding the worshipping of him vis-a-vis images, he's establishing a principle, and the principle is he gets to decide how he's worshipped. And what worship is acceptable to him. So he's not only forbidding a particular activity, he's also establishing a principle. And the principle is he dictates how he's to be worshipped and how he's not to be worshipped. And we have to submit to and follow his guidelines in that regard. So uh, we must, when we look at these commandments, not only look at them in terms of their specifics, but we also have to look at them in terms of the principle that that commandment is setting forth. And the principle here in the second commandment is that God gets to regulate worship. And um, it's, it's arrogance for us to think that we should be the ones determining how God should be worshipped. It's kind of like each of you have a home and each of you have decorating tastes that you like. Um, some of you like Spanish furniture, and some of you like rustic furniture. Uh, some of you like paintings, and others of you prefer, uh, you know, flower arrangements. And each of you decorates your home as you see fit, in a way that pleases you. And it would be very arrogant for me to sail into your house and say, oh, you know, these decorations are no good. Here, I'll put mine up. And then demand that you live with my idea of what your house should look like on the inside. And, and you would say, look, it's my house. And uh, therefore, I have the right to determine how it's to be decorated inside in a way that, that pleases me. And who do you think you are to be coming along and imposing on me what my taste should be in terms of the environment in which I live? And in the same way... You know, it's God's worship. He's the one that's being worshipped. And, and who are we to sail in there and say, well, God, here's how you're going to be worshipped. Or here's how I want to worship you. As though the worship is about us. And, of course, it's not. It's about God himself. And so, therefore, God is the one who has the right to determine how he's going to be approached and how he's going to be worshipped. Now, turn in your Bible, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Um, we know as we read through the five books of Moses that God is very particular about how he's worshipped. He has chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter of very detailed and specific instructions 
about how he's to be worshipped. He's got the tabernacle and has to have just these dimensions and it's got to have this furniture in it and it's got to have this kind of priest and he's got to wear these kind of clothes and he's got to bring this kind of animal sacrifice for this sin and the other kind for that sin. And it's very detailed. And what he says in Deuteronomy 12, <clears throat> verses 29 through 32, he says, When the Lord thy God shall cut off the nations from before thee, whither thou goest to possess them, and thou succeedest them, and dwellest in their land, take heed to thyself, that thou be not snared by following them, after that they be destroyed from before thee. Now get this. And that thou inquire not after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God, for every abomination to the Lord which he hateth have they done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters they have burnt in the fire to their gods. Now here's our verse. What things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. Now the context of verse 32 is critical. God is talking about his worship in particular. That's the context. And he's saying, look, these other nations worship their gods in this way. He said, don't take their ideas about how to worship me and bring them over and use it in my worship. He says, when it comes to my worship, you go by my word and you do not add to it and you do not subtract from it. You just go exactly according to what I said. No more, no less, nothing else. And so here in verse 32 is a very clear declaration of what we call the exclusive principle, regulative principle of worship. And it is simply this. We do all that God commands us, but only that which God commands us in his worship. And that's how he regulated his worship under the old covenant. And that's how he regulates his worship under the new covenant as well. Now, let's turn and look at one final verse to conclude this point in 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 15. 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 15. We have to remember it's the same God of the old covenant. Uh, and of the new covenant, we're not two different gods here, and he hasn't suddenly decided uh, that worship under the old covenant is very regulated and worship under the new covenant can just be a free-for-all. Um, not at all. Uh, Paul writing to Timothy here, he gives him all kinds of instructions about uh, prayers and the role of men and the role of women in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And then he gives him all kinds of instructions about church officers. Here's what elders have to be. Here's what deacons have to be in chapter 3. And in 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul says this, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly, verse 15 of chapter 3, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, what he's telling Timothy is this. There's a way you ought to behave in the house of God, namely in the church. And in the church, this is how you're to function in your worship 
in your office bearers, in your activities, in the roles of men, in the roles of women, etc. And so why is he writing 1 Timothy? 1 Timothy is a book, among other things, that is telling Timothy how to regulate the behavior of the people of God in the house of God with reference to the whole scope of their activity and responsibility. Among those are worship. And so if you go on to chapter 4, and it says, verse 13, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. So he's telling him, here's the stuff you're supposed to do in the house of God in terms of of your activity there and, and your worship there. So the first principle uh, that we want to establish is that it is the prerogative of God to determine the terms upon which sinners may approach him in worship. You see, if we were sinless beings, we might have some pretty good idea about how God is to be worshipped. But our problem is that we are sinful people We have darkened, corrupted, perverted minds uh, to a certain degree, even though we've been regenerated. And therefore, we would naturally tend to pervert the worship of God, just like we would naturally tend to pervert the doctrine of God if we didn't have the book to tell us exactly how it's to be done. Because our own imaginations are uh, most of the time vain and corrupt if just left to themselves. And so we have to go to the Bible to find how we are to worship God. So um, the, the principle here is that we don't add anything to what God's commanded us to do. We don't take anything away from what God has commanded us to do. We do exactly all he has said, but nothing more than what he has said. And that's the principle he set forth in Deuteronomy 12 and verse 32 in terms of how he wants to be worshipped. All right, are there any questions? Earlier, you mentioned that we're not supposed to have any images. We read about that. That is an image that you're worshiping through, not just an image, right? Yeah. Yeah, what he's saying here is that you're not to use images as aids to worship. Now, In my house, I have lots of images. They're called pictures, okay? Um, And we have some carvings, a little cast statue of a dog and a bear and various little things around. So it's not images per se that are forbidden. What is forbidden is the use of images for worship and in the worship of God, right? So it's not a condemnation of all statuary of any kind. Angels is a big thing, you know. Maybe, maybe it's already passed, but for a while it was a big thing. Right, yeah. Keep up all that. Yeah, I've seen like angel candlestick holders and that kind of thing, which there's nothing wrong with them per se other than if you start worshiping through them. Or, or using them as an aid to worship, right. And I think, you know, um, you know, this gets into the whole issue of pictures of Jesus and, and, for example, the Passion movie. And you remember I preached an entire sermon on that subject as to right. whether... It's legitimate to portray Christ in pictorial image. And uh, <clears throat> so anyway, um, what happens is when you, when you have a picture of a dog 
you know, people are going to view it as a dog. When you have a, a statue of an angel, people immediately begin to move into the religious mode. And that's why, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, people wind up looking to angels, trusting in angels, worshiping angels, relying on angels uh, to take care of them, and, and then you, you do get into idolatry. Exactly. So, all right. Uh, Caleb was next, but we'll what's the difference between the inclusive uh, regulative principle of worship and the normative principle of worship? Uh, none. Dave? Whenever I uh, talk through this, I've always kind of struggled with the phraseology. Maybe it's my uh, uh, the semantics, but it says the acceptable way of worship Yes. Uh, to me, probably in my mind, it's not really the way, because he doesn't tell us the way. He tells us the content. He tells us the means, the elements of worship. He doesn't tell us in the reading of Scripture there will only be one man who will read the Scripture, or there will never be a unison, a congregational unison reading of the Scripture. Right, right. 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 Yeah, and and so the way is kind of confusing for me. It's really the elements in my mind that that he distinctly informs us about, and we are given much liberty about how we carefully use. Right. Right. Yeah. You're exactly right. That's well said. I totally agree with it. Page five of my notes right here, it addresses that exact issue. And I say, God regulates the essence of worship, not the circumstances of it. Um, and that's left to the light of nature and Christian prudence, as it says in chapter one and paragraph six of our confession. So God's word regulates, you will have prayer. But he doesn't regulate whether you stand when you pray, whether you kneel when you pray, whether you pray silently, whether you pray out loud. And so what you're saying is exactly correct. We have huge liberty in terms of the circumstances of worship where we have no liberty is in terms of the essence of the worship, that is, its content. So, um, you know, when it says here um, that the acceptable way of worshiping God is instituted by himself, I think, you know... Um, it was an effort to convey what you're conveying. And I think as we go down through this, uh, we'll see, like, a, for example, especially in paragraph um, six, it says, neither prayer nor any other part of the religious worship is now under the gospel tied to or made acceptable of any place in which it is performed or towards which it is directed. And uh, so, anyway, there is there is an effort to address that a little later on in another paragraph. Max? Um, it's, it's already pretty much been said. I was just going to add a little bit to what Roy was saying, and that is, you know, in, in a person's home, images and things like that are, are, are one thing, but in, in the church is where it's entirely different. Altogether different, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a different context. In your home, it's viewed as decoration in the church. This is where I come to worship yeah, God has uh, different regulations for private worship versus corporate worship. 
Right. So, for example, in, in corporate worship, women are to be silent, but in the home, women can speak, right? Okay, so that would just be one little example of the differences between the nature of worship in the church and the nature of worship in private. But like Dave was saying, you know, with reference to uh, the, the corporate worship here in the church, a lot of it is just the principles laid out, and we go by, you know, our, what's our, our intention here is to glorify God, what's going to glorify God. Right, 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 exactly, yep. Yep, and that's, that's exactly correct. So we can't get all wound up about um, the, the incidentals of worship. What we have to get wound up about is the essence of worship. And then with the incidentals, there's lots of room for variety. You know, do we use an instrument? Do we not use an instrument? Well, some people think that, that moves over into the regulative principle. It's like, you know, do we sit in a pew? Do we sit on the floor? Do we use a hymnal? Do we put, put it up on the overhead? Um, do we stand? Do we sit? Do we meet at 10 in the morning or do we meet at 2 in the afternoon? Um, there, there's lots of room for variety there. But right now, what we're attempting to simply establish is the fact that God regulates the essence of our worship, and that's his job, not ours, and we have to conform our will to his and not bring to him that strange fire of our own devising. All right, well, we got through one of the four principles. We'll proceed to the others, God willing, uh, as, we, as we move along. Um, let us pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much for your holy word. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to exercise a holy fear and a holy reverence uh, with reference to the activity of worship, as well as a holy joy and delight in the privilege of being able to worship our wonderful God. Father, we ask that you might help us to understand that worship is about you it's not about us. And Father, as we uh, engage in and approach you, may we do so in a way that brings a smile to your face rather than a frown to your brow. To that end, Lord, may we worship you uh, according to your word. Help us to understand that word so that we might please you uh, in this matter. Lord, may it not be that uh, you would have to say to us, after we have worshipped, sin lieth at the door. But may it be that after we have worshipped, you, you will say, uh, I have respect unto that worship and receive it. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.